Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in. It's a Wednesday morning, and it does feel a little bit like Groundhog Day. I'm not going to kid you. Put, put the Bill Murray movie on. Let's watch Bill wake up to Sonny and Cher every morning and go downstairs to eat breakfast. My favorite was when he's eating this big breakfast and he's just porking out because he just realized, I'm going to do this day after day. It's just going to keep repeating itself over and over. I might as well, you know, stop counting carbs and have a big stack of pancakes. And, you know, if you want to have some pie for breakfast or, you know, maybe a lot of pie, maybe some cake too. Why not? It's Groundhog Day today because here it is. We are talking again about when sports will restart. And we will talk again about the negotiations and labor unions. Now, we got good news. We got no news. And we got the drip, drip, drip of reaffirming news. Let's start with the good news, since we've had plenty of bad news for the last three months. Let's start with good news. And it may not matter to a lot of you, because Major League Soccer isn't the most popular league going. But they had a situation similar to baseball. And I know a lot of you aren't baseball fans either. But there's still a good number of baseball fans out there. And I think the key here is, you know, we see these negotiations and we hear they're going well. And then we hear they're going poorly and there could be a lockout and they're not going to play. But I think it can swing around pretty quickly because there's a lot of money at stake and it doesn't make sense for either one of these leagues to shut down. You know, it's a competitive sports environment in the best of times. And these are not the best of times. And it's going to be hyper-competitive because we haven't had any games for three months. And now baseball and basketball and hockey are going to be trying to wedge in as many games as they can. And football's going. And golf's rescheduled majors. And we're going to have the, you know, the Masters in the NFL in the morning and wrap it up so we can have the NFL in the NFL in the afternoon. And CBS will switch from the Masters to the NFL. I mean, it's going to be crazy. There's going to be a lot of sports on. It doesn't make sense to sideline yourself at that point, it doesn't make sense for soccer. It doesn't make sense for baseball. And I assume the people who run Major League Baseball know that. I assume the people who run Major League Soccer know that. From the rumors we've heard, and it could swing 180 degrees again, but from the rumors we've heard, soccer's back on. They're close to a deal. And that's a pretty quick turn. You know, that's a pretty quick 48 hours from when we thought the whole thing was going to be a lockout and it was going to be getting shut down. And I think baseball can do the same thing. It makes sense for them to play. It, it How they play and... You know, all the details you worked out, but you got to be playing, not playing. You need to have your games on TV. You don't need to make your league invisible. That's, that's not a good long-term growth. We're going we're gonna to get through this period, and there'll be growth on the other side, and why put yourself further behind in what is usually, you know, really aggressive competition. There's a, there's a good battle out there for the entertainment dollar, especially the sports entertainment dollar. So don't sideline yourself. And the fact that soccer seems to have suddenly miraculously come up with a deal makes me think baseball can do the same thing because they're facing some of the same pressures. Now, the steady drip, drip, drip of affirming news comes to you from the National Basketball Association. They've never really uh, told us that there was a problem and they weren't going to play. Now, there was a lack of information and check back in two or three weeks. And then after two or three weeks, they say check back in two or three more weeks. Uh, But here as time has passed, the momentum seems to be building that they're going to play. And Adrian Wojnarowski, Woj, was on with Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter and did a segment last night. And they were talking about how there were hundreds of millions of dollars at stake just in playing regular season games. And that's a big part of the pressure to not come with 16 teams, but come with 22. 
30 sounds good, and there's a symmetry to it, but let's face it, after this many months, there are players who don't want to come, and there are teams who don't want to come. Uh, so it looks like 22, I think, is going to be the number, and they're going to make hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, mostly from the regional sports networks, by getting over 70 games, maybe getting close to 75 games, because the two things that leaked yesterday are the dates, that they will return July 31, and that the NBA Finals will end at the latest October 12th. Now, we had heard that they wanted to be done by Labor Day. And then it seemed it got pushed back to mid-September, which makes sense because the NFL doesn't kick off Labor Day. They take Labor Weekend, Labor Day weekend off. They kick off the next week. So you're kind of easing into mid-September and you have a little bit of an overlap. That made sense. But when I hear October, I think there's going to be playing games. There's going to be some type of playing tournament. Uh, it's not just going to be the 16 best records, which I think we've all known was coming. Damian Lillard put up a big stink about that. And I think when he said it, a lot of people thought about it. And agreed. Other players agreed. I think coaches, GMs, and owners all saw the wisdom in that. Um, there's got to be something. And you can already do something funky because this year's already crazy anyway. So I hope we're going to see, you know, 13 versus 12, single elimination game. 12 versus the winner versus the 11 seed, single elimination game. Now, maybe you want to do something as you get to eight, because it seems like if you're eight, Memphis, uh, you've earned a little something, maybe more than one game. Maybe you deserve a two out of three or something. But I think some single elimination early, I think people would watch that. I think it'd be different. It'd be exciting. It wouldn't be the best players and the best teams, but I think they'd be playing hard, especially if there's a little financial incentive mixed in there. Uh, So, you know, I'm up for that. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it looks to me probably like about three, at least two, maybe three weeks of regular season basketball, a week of playing, and then into a kind of a compressed NBA playoffs. Usually the first round takes forever, but I think in this situation, you know, four games a day, play these games and keep it moving. Um, Because how long do these guys want to be in the bubble uh, at Disney World? I mean, how long does that really make sense? You want to be there two, I mean, we're looking at two and a half months for the teams that go to the finals. And two months for the uh, teams to go to the conference finals. So, now, for a lot of teams, it'll be about a month, maybe a fifth week. And, you know, we'll be down to eight. So, that's 14 of the teams aren't going to be there very long. But for the other eight, four, and then the final two, they're going to be there quite a while. Now, the other thing that happens here is, for the better teams that are going to be there quite a while, is you're supposed to have home court advantage. You get several advantages there. One, you play the lower seeds, and I assume that they won't trick up the playoffs too much, and you'll still get that benefit. But you also have, you know, key games, whether it's the first two and you try to jump out to a lead in the series or a fifth game when it's 2-2 and certainly a game seven when it's 3-3 winner take all. You get those at home. So what kind of benefits should these home teams get since they can't have that? So the ESPN did a story and threw out a bunch of them and I'm going to throw them out for you and rank them. Uh, We don't have to eliminate anything yet, but think about this. We might eliminate some later in the show. So here's some of the nominees. Uh, The higher seeded team since they don't get to play in front of their fans and you know ride that adrenaline wave and all that, see if they can intimidate referees and get some calls. And, uh, the higher-seeded team being awarded the first possession of the second, third, and fourth quarters following the traditional jump ball to begin the game. That's not a lot. I think they usually alternate possession. So now you could get one or two extra possessions a game because you might have three or four if you win the jump um, instead of two when you just start a quarter and you alternate and all that. So a couple possessions during the course of a game. Now it's true that there are there are games that come down to a possession or two, and so maybe with a couple extra possessions that would make a difference. Seems a little tricked up. Um, a little lukewarm on that one. I don't I don't love it. I definitely don't love it. I, I don't even know that I like it, to be honest. Um, 
The next one. The higher-seeded team being allowed to designate one player to be able to be whistled for seven fouls instead of six before fouling out. Too gimmicky. I don't like it. I, I really don't like that. I, I don't like that one. I don't like the first one. I'd, I'd rather go with the giving them a couple extra possessions. Six is the number. And plus, they just don't know how big a difference this makes either. you got to pick the right guy. There aren't that many guys who foul out who get the six, so what does it matter if they have the seventh? You know, you move the bag back. Now they can just call one more foul on your guys. Is it even a benefit? Maybe the other team just gets to shoot a couple extra free throws. How often does your key player foul out? Uh, the higher-seeded team receiving an extra coach's challenge. Back up a second. Okay, I just thought about this. Whistle for seven fouls instead of six. Where that would really help you is in a Rudy Gobert situation where he picks up a couple early and he's got to sit. Maybe if there's seven, he doesn't have to. He gets to keep playing. Okay, I'm going to rethink that. That does seem like a little bigger bonus there. Now, is it too gimmicky? Is it too big an advantage? But there is more of an advantage there than I saw initially. You know, a player not having to limit a guy's minutes because he's in foul trouble, that's the most important benefit from that. Not so much, oh, you need the seventh foul because you're about to foul out. It's more a guy like Rudy Gobert. We've all seen him, you know, blocking shots and he gets in foul trouble early, can't play as aggressive and has to sit. So maybe there's a little more, little, little more meat on the bone there, maybe. Maybe. All right, the higher-seeded team receiving an extra coach's challenge. <sighs> Big old shrug of the shoulder. Yeah, I don't really care. Uh, the higher-seeded teams being able to transport their actual hardwood home court from the home arenas to Orlando to try to preserve the feel of their home playing experience. That's the worst one. <laughs> Wait a minute. Part of what I love about this is... Um, you know, you're going to recoup some money and help some people keep their jobs and, I mean, get some furloughed people back. Uh, to blow some of that cash on flying a floor? Nah, I don't like it. I mean, in the regular season, they normally do that, but they're a washing money then. It's a different time. They'll, you know, they'll switch out. Everybody will switch out floors at home, and you'll have two or three or, I don't know, maybe some teams have four home floors. I don't even know how many they have. They have a lot. The Jazz have a lot, obviously. I'm sure the Jazz must have at least three. I don't really pay that close attention to that kind of stuff. But no, I don't. The money's tight now, and they're laying off people and furloughing them, and people are taking pay cuts. And I don't want to fly in. That, that's a, of all of them, that's the worst one. I don't want to hear that one at all. I don't want to see that happen. All right, last one here. This is kind of bizarre. An off-court feature in which playoff teams, in order of receiving, of seeding 1 to 16, receive first choice on picking the hotel they stay at at the ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex and Disney Resort. Uh, sure, what do I care? Uh, you're more comfortable. I assume they've got a bunch of sweet hotels down there. I haven't been to the resort there. I don't, I don't have any experience with that. I assume they've got a bunch of awesome ones. Uh, and if you're going to be there six, eight, ten weeks. Yeah, I bet you would like something sweet. That's my first choice. That's that's the one I prefer the most out of this list. Uh, flying the court is the one I, I, I hate the most. All right. DJ and PK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, hey, how you can help. A blood drive underway and uh, the history of fantasy football all in one seg- segment. Don Sterling coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. 
Join the big show Friday from 2 to 6. They're going to be at the warehouse, 86 East University Parkway in Orm. Prices so low, it'll blow your mind. DJ PK, and we are joined now by Don Sterling, now the new executive director of the Miller Family Office. He has worn multiple hats in his time with the uh, Miller Organization and the Utah Jazz, now running the Miller Family Office. Don, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. Uh, We got you on to talk about the blood drive, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But first, I'm curious, the Miller Family Office. So what are you doing exactly? What does the family office do? Uh, I know a lot of people think a family office is simply a location where the family gathers. <laughs> but it is, uh, it is far more than that. If, if you look at, obviously, the Miller family owns the Larry H. Miller group of companies. And that is their, their family business. The family office really takes care of and uh, tends to the business of the family. It can range from uh, philanthropic efforts, uh, education, career development, obviously financial matters and investments, but it is that um, entity, that organization that works directly with um, all members of the Miller family to, to provide them opportunities to provide them uh, the resources they need to go about being great humans and living productive lives. Now, Don, we've known you for a long time. We need to explain to people that you're not that Don Sterling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, especially in this day. Um, no, those were uh, those were some tough days back then, and, and Commissioner Silver and the league's done a great job moving on from that, and yet here we are again today dealing with some very important matters, and hopefully everybody uh, is having a softening of their heart and a desire to understand and to reach out. All right, so uh, I was walking out of the uh, radio station, and uh, I think a lot of people know because they've been to jazz games, but if you haven't been to a jazz game in the Upper Bowl, the radio studios are up on the fifth floor, and some of you walk by and go into your seats when you're going to games. And I walked out, and I heard some music, and of course, you know, the arena's pretty much been a ghost town here for about three months. Uh, There's a few people back in it now, but for a while, there literally weren't even a dozen people in it. Uh, at any given time. But to hear music coming out of the arena, I thought, what is going on? I turned and walked in, and of course I looked down and immediately realized, well, of course, I knew they were having a blood drive here. I didn't know exactly where it was going to be or what it was going to look like, but it's actually on the arena floor. The scoreboard's there, and it's all lit up with the blood drive info and stuff, and their table's set up, and they got music, and there were people moving around down there. And uh, so explain the, the how the blood drive got started, why you're doing it on the the scale you're doing it and doing it in the arena. This actually uh, was a conversation that started towards the end of April with uh, Gail Miller and Greg Miller and the family um, and, and other members of our organization of what can we do at this moment where we now see that the uh, COVID-19 reality is going to be much more of a marathon than a sprint. Uh, what can we do to really impact people? So under the umbrella of Driven to Assist, as you may recall, we, we first did the, the food drive with the Utah Food Bank, and we'd had a goal of six, 7,000 pounds, 8,000 pounds, which is, you know, four tons. We ended up uh, collecting 23,000 pounds, uh, nearly 12 tons of food. Our dealerships 
theaters uh, were involved, the Vivint uh, Smart Home Arena and Smith's Ballpark. But as part of those conversations, we also knew and recognized that there was going to be a need for blood, especially as the economy started to open up. Uh, elective surgeries were going to start happening, and frankly, more people are on the streets driving and having activities, and therefore there are more accidents and the need for blood. So we, we put a really what was an extraordinary working group together that started at the top with Dr. Angela Dunn, the state epidemiologist. Uh, we partnered with the American Red Cross, ARUP, uh, Intermountain Health, uh, University of Utah Health, HCA, which is St. Mark's, and, and Stewart Health. Um, and our own, our own people, the arena people, have just been fantastic. But we knew that if we wanted to do something significant, we needed to do it on a larger scale. But at the same time, we knew we needed to make it absolutely safe and, and uh, sanitized and uh, respectful of all the restrictions around COVID-19. So starting yesterday was the first day. We, we are going all week. Uh, we will go through Friday, June 5th. It goes from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Um, we, uh, it is open to the public, although we ask that if possible, if at all possible, you go to redcrossblood.org, redcrossblood.org, something easy to remember, and uh, use the sponsor code LHM and to sign up for an appointment. We we wanted to, our goal is 900 appointments through the week. And, and yesterday, uh, at the end of yesterday, we were at 457. Uh, yes, yesterday we had over uh, 150 people come in and give a unit of blood. I will tell you, you too, and I challenge you, I was one of them. Uh, I was able to give blood, and it went well. It was a great experience. The American Red Cross handled it uh, in a fantastic, efficient, uh, clean way. So it's a good start. How long does the process take, Don? You know, I walked in. Um, you, uh, let me take you through it. You walk in. They take your temperature. Want to make sure that there's no uh, no temperatures walking into the building. Uh, you get a little. You, you check in. You go downstairs. There's about a 15 minute uh, check in process uh, that takes place. And then I would say PK end to end on the table is about 15 to 20 minutes. Maybe it was, I, I felt maybe a little longer. It was, uh, I was, uh, frankly, you know, giving blood is not something everybody on the planet likes to do or think about. But I will tell you, uh, the American Red Cross made it so easy. Um, and and uh, they, they uh, explain every step of the way. There's tons of treats after if you need a little, uh, need a little boost of energy. But uh, I bet all in it was 45 minutes-ish. They're not lying about the treats. I've given blood. Always good treats. Really good treats. <laughs> quality, quality cookies, beverages. Hit them up. But I will tell you, it was uh, – um, and, and look, we've had a tough weekend. And at, at one point we thought, should we continue to do our blood drive? And collectively we felt – Look, this is a unifying effort. This is a unifying activity. And if, if our community is out there wondering what they can do in, in the midst of some of the challenges we're having, 
we, we invite you to go help people. And this is one of the ways we can do that. We, we found out and I learned that every unit of blood, and that's what you give, you give a unit of blood, nice little baggie of blood, uh, it, it can serve up to three people. So 900 units could help 2,700 people in the community throughout the state of Utah. This blood's gonna serve all 37 hospitals in the state. And uh, like I said, can't thank American Red Cross and our partners on this for making it happen. But it's only Tuesday. We gotta finish strong. We gotta get to that, to that 900 appointment. And if we can do more than that, great. I remember, Don, when your father passed, which I think is about five years ago or so, yeah. uh, and he was in sports management. He had a very interesting background, uh, sports writer, sports talk shows. Now, I, I happen to know if you worked as a sports writer and then became a sports radio talk show host, you're a special human being. Uh. Um, I'm not naming names, but if you were able to do both of those things, then you really are something special. On this you know, PK, I may have not have ever told you this, but... Uh, when when I was growing up, he he was a sports writer for the Oakland Tribune, and yes. then was hi- hired by Al Davis at the Oakland Raiders. He said, "Donnie, later in your life, you're going to meet some people like me, and you need to show them the utmost respect." <laughs> wow, that, that's why I'm here with you, boys. You are just as full of it as PK is. That's amazing. I thought you were only about you know two thirds as full of it. <laughs> what I was going to say is, I remember reading. At the time, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was credited as one of the founders of fantasy football? That is correct. Um, what was that? Well, it, 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 and I often say, geez, if he had just put a patent on it, I'd be on scholarship the rest <laughs> of my life. Uh, he, he was with uh, t- um, um, two other people. Bill Winkenback, who was a minority owner of the Oakland Raiders. And George Ross, who actually was the the editor, sports editor of the Oakland Tribune. In the old days, when when teams, this was when it was still the AFL, the Raiders would go on a road trip. It's not like today where you go back, you know, out and back. When they would go to the East Coast, they played three to- three teams at the time. They they played the New York Jets, the Boston Patriots, and the Buffalo Bills, and they would be gone for three weeks. They would fly out, they would stay out and play those three games and then come home after being on the road for three weeks, if you can imagine. Wow. And so one night, uh, they're, in a, they're in New York City, and there may have been some refreshments involved. I can't confirm that. <laughs> but they had the idea uh, to take, what if we had a draft and you drafted AFL players, and then created a, a, a point system. This is probably six, 1961, 1962. And out of that came um, what they called GOPL, G, the Greater Oakland Pigskin Prognosticators League. GOPL, pretty clever name. But they, they created... And the rules of the game, still uh, you can still find them. Uh, NFL Network did a show a few years ago on the whole creation of, of fantasy football and credited George Ross and Bill Winkenback and my dad with the creation of what is now fantasy football. In fact, they still have 
the original document that has the draft picks of each of the members of the original really? Gopal. So that is that is uh, one of the great things that if you if you Google fantasy football Scotty Sterling, it will come up. <laughs> that is spectacular. <laughs> Isn't that? I mean, who knew? Who knew? The genius of sports writers slash sports radio talk show host. It, it never ends. PK, it is unending. <laughs> you need to have Don on more. I think I think <laughs> that's actually true, despite my obvious reservations. <laughs> uh, PK knows how I am, and I don't know if this is uh, just because the Raiders sucked at the time or because it was just such a lousy idea but they did those three-week trips every year i've been looking at the schedule while you're talking because of course i have and this is this is phenomenal this would never fly now the complaints would be outrageous i mean this is the equivalent of putting an nba team well i guess the spurs do it with the rodeo road trip that would be maybe the one comparison you could come up with but imagine imagine a group of young men out on the road for three weeks straight. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, it, uh, and, and just, anyway, it just was, a. uh, it was, there's just an innocence to it, to the league then, I mean, compared to the way it is now, but they thought nothing of it. And they, and they were flying commercial everywhere they went. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what it does, Don, it screams of the stories that Jerry Sloan used to tell versus what's going on now because it was a similar thing, similar circumstances that Jerry was playing under when he was in the league with uh, when he started in Baltimore and then obviously with the Chicago Bulls with the number of games that they were playing and flying commercial and all that stuff. I mean, we know all those stories, and that's what they were doing back then. Absolutely. Well, uh, first of all, let me say I was I lived, grew up in the Bay Area, and I would go to Warriors games, and I remember when the Bulls came in, and they had arguably, arguably still to this day, maybe the toughest backcourt physically of any team with Jerry and Norm Van Sloan. Van Leer. Uh, or Norm Van uh, Leer, sorry. Uh, Norm Van Leer and, and Jerry Sloan. You did not want to play them. You did not want to play them. But even my, my dad served as uh, VP of operations for the league, so he's over player ops. And this was... He took that job in 82, so during those, those early to, to mid-80, probably longer than that. But the rule was um, you, you, teams weren't flying private at that point. Right. And so the rule was whatever the, the first flight out mm-hmm. to the next city you were going to, that was the flight you had to take. So you could play a game in one city, and if you were going to the had a game in another city on a roadie, you couldn't take the midday flight. You couldn't take the late afternoon flight, even if you had a day in between. You had to take the first flight out. Six a.m. So I mean, if you can imagine, it's uh, and and you you can uh, you can envision players that had shorter careers if they played today they probably look this is lengthened careers yeah this is yeah, lengthened no careers because of the the physical demands they've created ways to offset those physical demands 
Before we let you go, Don, you you know, your father was in the business. You've been in the business. You talk about attending games as a child, so you, you have a lot of background here. One of the themes that we've been hitting here this week is the idea, we had Steve Cleveland on talking about it, the idea of sports being able to be a great unifier. Could you maybe amplify that, some of the experiences that you saw bringing people from all sorts of backgrounds? We talked about, hey, maybe if there was a jazz game on last Saturday night, who knows, maybe it wouldn't have been as bad. People would have, at the very minimum, they would have been, maybe have some interest occupied. But the greater good of, of folks from different backgrounds, from the fan perspective, in addition, obviously, to the players, but coming together and finding some common ground that sports can bring. Yeah, I, look, I, since I was very, very young, um, there was always something about communities getting together and, and rooting for their team or rooting for their country that, that brings people together. We, we love our team. We love our guys. We love to see them compete. And when the focus turns from whatever may, we may be happening in our own lives and, and life gets tough and these are, these are challenges that we need to address that are going on right now. But when our teams take the floor, take the field, um, suddenly the people next to us, we're, we're all on the same team then because we're unified in our support of what's happening on the floor or happening on the, on the field of play. That's why the Olympics are so extraordinary. And, and, and look, NBA basketball, I, I just love this game, and we've all been going through withdrawals. Um, it's been fun to watch, watch some of our repeat games on, uh, on, on AT&T Sportsnet. First of all, you can relax because you know you're going to win the game, no matter <laughs> if, if we're having a bad run at a certain part. At least I know we're going to win. But, and, and we miss it. We miss our guys. Um, you know, the, having been involved with the 2002 Olympic Winter Games and the Olympic movement, we used to say, we don't know where the stories will come from, but they always do. There's always something that, that emanates from sports competition where, where an individual, a, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, steps up beyond their own abilities and has the performance of a lifetime. And then you learn more about that person and it connects us as, as humans and, and as a community. And that's why the sooner we can get back in a safe and thoughtful way, I'm all in. I'm all in. I can't, I can't wait to see the Utah Jazz on the floor again. Can't wait to see the bees at the ballpark. Um, it brings us together. Thank you. We'll leave it right there, Don. We appreciate the time. Hey, one more time for the people who want to come to the arena and uh, walk around down on the floor. The, the basketball floor isn't down. They're, they're on the concrete floor underneath that, uh, obviously. But uh, how, to, uh, how to get uh, time reserved and get all hooked up. Terrific. Thank you. Um, today through Friday at Vivint Smart Home Arena, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's the Driven to Assist Blood Drive in coordination with the American Red Cross. Um, if uh, They are taking walk-ups if you're in the area and, and, and get a hankering to go help and, and give blood, you can, you can walk up. 
We encourage everyone, though, to set an appointment, and you can set an appointment by going to redcrossblood.org, redcrossblood.org. Use the sponsor code LHM. It's an easy process. Um, uh, like I said, I gave yesterday, and it was a, it was a, a comfortable experience and a great experience from the folks at American Red Cross. And we just and, and one more thing, DJ and, and PK, you said it. One of the things that Greg Miller said was, we're going to do well by doing good. People will give blood. But it also gives a chance for people to come back into our home, into Vivint Smart Home Arena, where we have such fond memories and affection for this place, for games, for concerts, for ice shows. So many of us have such singular memories of things that have gone on in this building, and we haven't been able to visit it. This is an opportunity to come back to uh, to a home that's comfortable to us and be able to do some good by giving blood. Don, thanks for a few minutes. Thanks for a little fantasy football, three-game AFL road trips, <laughs> and other assorted bits of information. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the support, and uh, always good to be with you. There's Don Sterling, and uh, he's held several jobs for the Jazz over time, but now the executive director of the Miller Family Office. When we come back, Ben Anderson talking all things Jazz from the Jazz pre and post-game shows. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by Ben Anderson, Utah Jazz Radio studio analyst. He's on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Ben, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming back on again. It has been a while because there have been no games. I'm curious. We have talked to some... Uh, national NBA writers now. We had one on yesterday, and he's talking about he thought the Jazz uh, could be poised to do pretty well when the season comes back. And I think with Bogdanovich out with an injury, a lot of people found that surprising. How well do you think the Jazz can weather the absence of Bogdanovich? I think some of it's going to come down to matchups, and we don't know what this close to the regular season, if there is one, is going to look like. So, if you go one through sixteen and you have to play the Houston Rockets, which has you know, been one one of the rumors that's been talked about, that might be tricky. Though, admittedly, Boyan Bogdanovich has really struggled with that super small lineup that the Rockets can play. So, maybe the Jazz are actually a little bit more competitive against Houston without Boyan, just because he doesn't seem to really he hasn't figured out how to attack a team that can play that small because he can't really dribble against them. Uh, maybe there's actually a little bit more help without Boyan in that series, as crazy as that seems to, to sound. But, you know, if you played the Oklahoma City Thunder, which you might be poised to right now, I think you could probably get past that team. And then, you know, you, you just hope that the matchups continue to favor you. You just start Joe then? Yeah, I think you start Joe Eagles. Uh, Royce O'Neal probably moves up to the four uh, for Boyan, and then I think Joe plays the three. 
then you're you're also uniquely small. Other than Rudy Gobert, you know, Royce is he's six eight, but he's not particularly maybe six seven, six six, but he's not particularly bulky. He doesn't play all that big, though he can probably defend most of the fours in the NBA. But yeah, I think that probably ends up being your starting lineup. So where do you think they get the scoring punch from? Because obviously we're talking about a volume shooter. I think Mike Conley probably has to step up. Now the Jazz haven't done a great job this year figuring out how to have two backcourt scorers uh, at the same time. Even when you know Jordan Clarkson's on the floor, it seems like he does the majority of the scoring or the majority of the shooting, and either Joe Ingles is the initiator or that last kind of second unit group that we saw that Dennis Lindsay has praised a few times now since we've been in hiatus uh, that had Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles. Those guys all kind of deferred to Clarkson, uh, and then he would kind of be kind of a one-pass playmaker for those guys finding open shooters or finding Tony Bradley rolling to the rim. There wasn't a whole lot of movement or action there, uh, but it could still find a way to score the ball. So I think it would be Mike Conley in the starting lineup, but that's not we, we haven't seen that balance yet from the Jazz this season. Do you have re-signing Jordan Clarkson as a high priority? Yeah, I think it's I think it's your top true priority. No, I, I mean you're you're going to give. Uh, Donovan Mitchell a max contract this offseason. I think you see if Rudy Gobert wants to sign a max extension, but not the super max, not $250 million. I think you see if he wants to take $50 million off that price tag and sign for five years and $200 million, which is still an absurdly high $40 million a season, but you could probably stomach that a little bit better than you could $50 million a year, and you don't need to pay him $50 million a year starting this year. You don't need to commit to that because you're still going to be the only team that can give him that coming up next offseason. But I don't think you wasted any time with Donovan Mitchell. But when it comes to Jordan Clarkson, I think that's probably your next priority. That's probably the guy I start working on, uh, trying to get Clarkson deal. And, and if it's, you know, we don't know what the salary cap's going to look like next year because of all the money lost this season. But I think a similar percentage of the cap, and he makes it up $15 million, $14 million right now. If you could pay him something in the similar range, I think he's an absolute bargain for what he brings this Jazz team. You know, there's uh, plenty of Jazz fans who fear he's going to go to one of the elite teams, go to LeBron and all that. Because the thing is with, with Clarkson is he brings a, a skill set that everybody needs. You know, can you come off the bench and when things are struggling, just go get, just go get shots, just go score. And he can do that. And, and what team doesn't need that? So what are the odds you think that he's here and what are the odds that uh, regardless of money he's lured away by another superstar whether it's LeBron and Lakers or somebody else I think he's young enough that he still needs to be signing contracts for money and not for championships and that's not the Jazz don't offer him at least an opportunity to compete and prove that he can compete at this level so I would be really surprised if he goes anywhere and, and most teams aren't going to have any money. I mean, I mean, the teams that should have money this offseason are, are really bad basketball teams, whether it's New York or Detroit or maybe Atlanta. I mean, there's a couple of teams that can spend some money, but it's, it's not high-profile destination cities. And then on top of it, with the reduced salary cap that we're expecting, even if they kind of smooth out these losses over the next few seasons, you should anticipate that most teams are going to be two, three, four million dollars less in their salary cap than they expected. Now that includes the Jazz, but the Jazz do own his bird rights, so they can go as high as they want paying him. Uh, and, and I would imagine they would be extremely comfortable going over the, the the salary cap and going into his bird rights to pay for him. What other priorities do you see? 
Uh, you know, you can work on George Yang's uh, contract this off season, and and he's probably due some money. I mean, he's come in and done exactly what you want, and you, you see these guys who are pure shooters uh, in the NBA. They they tend to get paid, and they tend to have value wherever they go, even if they do feel a little bit overpaid. Whether that's a Davis Bertans in Washington right now, who kind of was inexplicably let go or traded by the San Antonio Spurs, who could certainly use that type of player now. Uh, so, so I think you pay him. Now, he's not in that same conversation as a shooter as Davis Bertans, but he's over 40%. He gets up three-point shots pretty easily. He's shown some ability to improve. I think he saw a little bit more of a dribble drive game this season than he'd shown in years past. So, uh, And I think he's a solid culture guy. I think he's a solid locker room guy. I think he's fine to have around. So you probably extend his contract this offseason as well. You start looking at that, and then you have to figure out what you're going to do with the Emmanuel Moutiers of the world. You know, is, is he going to make too much money on the market? That's certainly possible. I thought he played well when he was on the floor with the Jazz, and there's actually some, some lineup numbers that I think he looks really good in as well. So there's probably going to be a team that's willing to take a chance on him. And because he's made good money, but certainly not Jordan Clarkson-level money at this point in his career, he should also probably be looking to sign for whoever will give him the most years and certainly the most money as opposed to saying, well, the Jazz treated me well. I'm going to give them a discount. I don't think for his you know, personal life that's probably a good idea. I think he should go sign elsewhere and probably get a couple more seasons. I'm curious whether you think there are some teams around the league that are better set up than others to perform when they come back. I mean, the, the chemistry, the flow, all that's going to be gone. Teams are going to have to recreate it. Do you trust some teams more than others? I trust veteran teams. I trust guys who know how to stay in shape in the offseason. And we've seen it locally. You see it across the NBA. It, it, it takes some guys three years just to figure out how to be NBA players. You, you know, how, how to keep themselves in shape, how to come into camp ready, how to eat right. I mean, Donovan Mitchell has said he didn't know how to eat right for the first couple of seasons uh, and has kind of figured that out now with the Jazz personal chef. He would go and get, you know, a really sugary smoothie or he would eat a bunch of Caesar salads and heard the word salad and thought that means it's healthy. And, it's you know, it's not. So I, I think some of the more veteran teams are probably going to be well prepared to do this and that favors the Lakers who outside of Anthony Davis and LeBron James, who are both very veteran players, have a ton of guys like Danny Green who have been around a long time who have figured out how to do this. So the veteran team should be in good shape. Now, that could become into question if we end up playing a lot of truncated games. I think a lot of people think in 1999 the Jazz were hurt by the lockout season because you had to play so many games so quickly and they were so much older uh, that that might have cost them a championship. I I think those are some of the questions, but I would imagine early on those teams that are veteran, those teams that, that know how to come in, and be ready to go and don't need a month to find chemistry. I think those teams are really going to be, find a, a good advantage to start this year. So you're telling me a Caesar salad is unhealthy? Well, I mean, there's worse options. You know, you, you could certainly go get a loaded baked potato, and that's not going to help you. But a Caesar salad with, with the really heavy, full Caesar dressing, it's not great for you. Add some croutons on top of it. It's not going to be the best thing you can find to eat. Sorry, DJ. Yeah, I know, right? There's no hope for me. I'm done. <laughs> Baked potato and Caesar salad. I think that's the healthiest option on my menu. Hey, none of us are trying to be in the NBA. We can eat whatever we want. <laughs> I don't think that's true either. As I look at this team, it's funny because it was young for a good while. And then it, it sort of got old. Not old, but older quickly. And so with Conley, Bogdanovich, and Joe you know, three of uh, your guys are over 30. 
How much do the Jazz need to start balancing, preparing for their departure, recognizing that it's not here yet, but it's drawing closer? Yeah, I think a big question there is what Mike Conley does after next season. I think we all assume that he picks up that gargantuan $30-plus million player option he's got this summer. It would make sense for him to do that. He's not going to make that up uh, on the free agent market. So he probably picks that up. And then what does he want? What does he expect? What does he need after that? Does, I think the Jazz would like to keep him around. I mean, they, they put a lot into in, in getting him. You know, they traded several first-round draft picks and former first-round draft picks and solid role players. So I think that was more than a two-year investment. But you're not going to pay him $20 million a season. I just don't think he's that type of point guard. He hasn't proven that. And then he's going to be so much older that I think it would be hard to pay him that much money. So uh, I think that's going to be a big question that helps dictate that. If, if he's willing to take less money and it's just within the Jazz kind of financial plans, you keep him around and you're probably okay being a little bit more veteran, especially as Donovan Mitchell kind of ages into his prime, which is still several years off. I, I think that's probably the plan. Boyan's game is probably somewhat similar to Mehmet Okur, who was aging well uh, before he tore his Achilles. Uh, so I think you can probably count on him. Joe's actually, I thought, said some interesting things this offseason. I know you guys get to talk to him every week, but he's kind of talked about, you know, he signed that last one-year extension and with his kids at their age, and he doesn't want to move them around through schools throughout their entire life. They may want to be back home in Adelaide, kind of getting their kids in school and ready to go before those kids turn, you know, six, seven years old when they're really in school, and that's only a couple of years away. So those guys might be looking at the end, or at least Joe Ingles might be looking towards the end, and, and if Mike Conley wants more money, he might not be in the picture after next season. So, at that point, you could start to go young again and trust that Rudy Gobert and trust that Donovan Mitchell are old enough, plus Jordan Clarkson, to kind of carry this core and this next group together. I think there also is the fact that you don't really win with young guys in the NBA. You need it for the future, but the, the number of young guys, you know, 27 and under, who contribute to NBA championship teams at a high level, that's not usually how it works. You know, you get to the guys who are 27, 28, 29. Now they're getting to the age that, where they can really win. So I wonder how much they just ride Gobert and Mitchell and constantly bring guys through trying to sign guys for a couple years, whether they're late 20s or early 30s. And, you know, I know there's been some hand-wringing over the last three months about the relationship between those two players, but Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, Rudy's probably into his prime and is going to be in a spot where I think the way the league plays will probably dictate how effective he can be, and he's still going to be very effective. It just matters. Is he going to be a top-10 player? Is he going to be a top-25 player? That's going to depend on three-point shooting and how teams attack and, you know, how small teams are willing to go. I think all that, that factors in. It's hard to... Hard, hard to understand exactly what that's going to look like, but Donovan's just going to keep getting better, and he's going to be a really good player for a really long time. And I think you're going to see players who want to come in and play in Utah, or at least play alongside of him. Everybody seen uh, players want to come in and play for for Quinn Snyder, and I think that secret's going to continue to go. You know, it'll become less of a secret. I think you're going to get more players who are willing to do that and and willing to come and be in a comfortable spot in Utah where, you know, the Jazz, I think, take care of their players pretty well and Quinn seems to like his players well and players like him. I think you're going to, like you said, DJ, you're going to be able to kind of retool this this roster over and over as you just work to find more Jordan Clarkson-type pieces that come in and fit and can be glue guys. So if Anthony Davis leaves the Lakers for whatever reason – Suddenly they become a lot more average. Now, maybe they can pick up somebody. I don't know. But I'm just looking at for the Jazz going forward into next season in terms of how serious of a contender you think they can be. 
Uh, it, it certainly depends on the age of LeBron. Now, maybe he's just ageless and it's going to be Tom Brady. You know, and all of a sudden, Tom Brady seems like he fell off a cliff last season. But it, can LeBron continue to play at that level and carry teams? And can he get enough rest throughout the season that he's going to be healthy? And that's that's what's scary about the Lakers this year. Is you know, you gave LeBron three months off to come back and be full strength, full strength LeBron regardless of what the last dance Dolph said, is as good as all polo we've ever seen. So if, if LeBron can do that, he can carry a team of really good players to a championship because he's carried teams of really mediocre players to championships in the past. So if LeBron ages and starts to fall off a little bit, I think kind of even regardless of what Anthony Davis does, I personally don't think Anthony Davis is one of those guys who can carry a team to a championship by himself. I think he's... He's the, maybe the best number two player in the league, but if he becomes your number one, you probably have some issues. Uh, and, and then let's see what happens with Paul George and the Clippers. You know, we, we've got some personal taste of it, of, of Paul George just absolutely disappearing in the postseason. He, he couldn't handle Joe Ingles, which other players have handled Joe Ingles in the playoffs, and Paul George couldn't. And that, that maybe says more about Paul George than necessarily it does Joe. Uh, so I think those are some questions to ask. But then... You know, I, I don't believe in Russell Westbrook in the postseason either. There's no reason why the Jazz can't continue to improve and can't continue to get better and kind of maybe do what the Carl and, and John Jazz teams did, which was just you, they're going to require a certain amount of experience to figure out how to win. Their talent alone isn't going to get them there because they're not as talented as LeBron and Anthony Davis or they're not as talented as Kawhi and Paul George. But with enough wins and losses under their belt, they'll figure out how to kind of get to finally that promised land, and then you're hoping for an advantageous matchup in the finals. Well, Ben, I miss hanging out with you during games, just sitting in the studio watching whatever's going on, so uh, hopefully we'll get back to that one day. July 31st, I think we'll hear that on Thursday. There it is. All right, Ben, we appreciate it. Thanks for a few minutes. Thanks, guys. There's Ben Anderson from the Jazz pre-half and post-game shows. What is trending? Coming up next.